A few years ago, I was dropping my kids off at daycare, and the supervisor asked if I had a minute to come by her office. My mind immediately spiraled into ugly thoughts about why she wanted to talk. Things like, she's going to tell me I'm all over the place with drop-off and pick-up times, and that it's a huge inconvenience to everyone, and that she thinks I'm flaky, and that I don't provide enough stability for my kids, and that I'll never be able to teach them time management or structure, or how to be good humans, and they'll fail to thrive at life, and end up living under a bridge as rusty, axe-wielding serial killers. Yeah, so we're going to talk about anxious thoughts today, and how to push back against them. Because clearly, I needed help in that moment. Welcome to the Anxious Creators Unite podcast. I'm Sadie, and I'm recovering from social anxiety and perfectionism. This podcast is all about what it's like to be on a mental health journey and what it's like to share that journey online. I hope that the time you spend listening helps you feel a little less alone on your own journey. We're in this together because talking about mental health matters. So let's talk. Hello, hello. Okay, in honor of October 10th being World Mental Health Day 2020, I thought today would be a good episode to talk about the toxic stories that anxiety likes to tell us and how we can push back against those thoughts. I'll also take you through how my daycare story fits in and how that meeting actually ended up going. This meeting happened, I mean, I shouldn't even call it a meeting, this encounter with the daycare supervisor happened before I had been diagnosed with social anxiety and before I'd done any kind of therapy. I was not in a very secure or confident place, especially in my role as a mommy, which has always been one of my trigger areas. There was no rational foundation for the thoughts I was having about going to see the daycare supervisor. They came from my own deep existing insecurities. I never felt good enough as a mom. I never felt organized enough compared to other moms. I felt like I was never a good enough caregiver. I wasn't fun or adventurous enough. And that I just wasn't doing a good job at giving them a solid footing in their early years so that they could grow up to be healthy and happy grown-ups. Those core fears turned into the toxic stew of thoughts that started with, the supervisor wants to talk, and ended with, my kids are going to be serial killers and it's going to be my fault. Anxiety tells us stories that feel like truth. And learning to identify and call out those stories can go a long way to retraining your brain to think in ways that are healthier. In therapy, they call these toxic stories cognitive distortions. Cognitive meaning mental processes or your mind working, and distortion meaning warped, twisted, misrepresentation, falsification, basically warped thinking. And when I did my, my therapy for social anxiety, uh, we focused on 10 major types of cognitive distortion. So I just wanted to talk to you guys about them today because I nerded out on these pretty hard when I was in therapy. I found them fascinating. I found it reassuring to know that it wasn't just me. I think that's just, that's not just how I am built to think in these ways. It's actually anxiety. And these are known lies that anxiety tells. So I thought I would share them with you guys today. The first cognitive distortion is called probability overestimation. It means that 
you think a bad thing is much more likely to happen than it truly is. So that could be you thinking that everyone will be able to tell how shy or anxious you are at a conference or a party, for example. And the way we push back against that thought is to ask ourselves questions like, what are some other possible ways this could go? Is my worst case scenario the only outcome that could happen? Is it the most likely outcome? So for example, is it guaranteed that you'll feel that people will know how shy you seem or at a party and even if they did is that is that really so bad that's probability overestimation the second cognitive distortion is called catastrophizing or catastrophic thinking and that means if a bad things if a, if a bad thing happens it will be catastrophic it's like a snowball effect or a domino effect you take something that's kind of bad and then turn it into the worst possible thing ever, basically resulting in a zombie apocalypse. For example, if I make a phone call and my mind blanks out briefly, I'll freak out and make a fool of myself and they'll never want to talk to me again. And then they won't help me during a zombie apocalypse. How do we counter catastrophizing? We ask ourselves, if my worst case scenario did come true, how bad would it actually be? A year from now, looking back, would I still think it was Earth-ending? I mean, barring an actual zombie apocalypse. The third cognitive distortion is called mind reading. And that sounds like, I know what you're thinking about me, and it's bad. My colleagues think I'm boring. My friends pity me when I blush. Basically, mind reading. Like, you think you, think you know what the other person is thinking, but you assume it's negative. We can counter that push back against it by asking questions like, do I truly know what they're thinking? What else might they be thinking? There's a very good chance that the person you're worrying about is just trying to remember something they forgot to add to their grocery list. The fourth cognitive distortion is fortune telling. It's like you have an invisible crystal ball in your mind and it's telling you that whatever you're doing, it's going to end badly. It sounds like People won't like me if they get to know the real me. I won't ever get over my anxiety or be able to maintain progress. We can push back against fortune telling with questions like, am I jumping to conclusions here? Can I know for sure what the future will bring? The fifth cognitive distortion is personalization. And that sounds like whatever it is, whenever it happened, if it was bad, it was my fault. It's my fault my son is shy. It's my fault our get-together was awkward. I made a mistake and my friend is upset, and that proves that I'm stupid. We can push back against this by asking questions like, what other factors might be at play here? Does there have to be someone to blame? Is it possible that I'm taking more than my fair share of the responsibility pie? The sixth cognitive distortion is minimizing the positives. And this is the yeah, but distortion. If you call me brave, I will say, yeah, but you only think that because, and then any number of reasons, because you don't know me that well, because I'm medicated right now, because you're just trying to make me feel better. Or my therapist only said that she's happy that I'm showing progress because she's paid to say that. We can counter this thinking by saying, by asking ourselves, am I maybe focusing on my weaknesses and forgetting my strengths? 
the seventh cognitive distortion is discounting coping skills. And that is if something bad or hard happens, I won't be able to handle it. Things like I can't handle being a parent. I won't be able to do it. There's no way I can travel alone. I'll fall apart. We can push back against this one by asking, am I forgetting similar situations that I handled well or at least coped with and got through? The eighth cognitive distortion is should statements. And one of the therapists in my group called, like to call this shoulding all over yourself. I should be better at this. I shouldn't need so much help. I should never be a bother to anyone. Historically, I've been the queen of shoulding all over myself. I'm so full of should, you don't even know. We can, we can counter this one by saying, would I hold a friend or relative to these same standards? The ninth cognitive distortion is all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking. It's basically letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. If I don't memorize my presentation perfectly, it will be a complete disaster. If I forget a word, I will get completely derailed. If I don't ace my test, it means I'm too stupid for school. Some questions we can use to push back against this one are, is there an in-between or gray area that I'm ignoring? Can there maybe be a reason for pride even if I don't get straight A's? What about all the things I do learn, all the great experiences I have, all the study tools I pick up along the way, even if I don't get the A? Or if I do forget a word in my presentation, is it possible that I'll find an even better way of expressing my thoughts and my presentation will end up sounding more natural? The tenth cognitive distortion that we talked about in therapy was selective attention and memory. And that means noticing and remembering the negatives more than the positives. For example, that one temper tantrum this morning means that my kids are miserable with me as a mother and I'm not doing a good enough job. Never mind that our kids are happy, healthy, and loved. We can push back against this one by asking, are there strengths in me that I'm ignoring? Would an onlooker see it the same way? I know I hit you with a lot of items there. Uh, I hope that it was at least possible to follow along. I'm going to make a little blog post to go along with it um, at sadie-hall.com just so that there's a visual list of these. So going back to my daycare example, that one has a lot of mind reading, fortune telling, and catastrophizing. I was imagining things that the supervisor was thinking like, I'm flaky. I was predicting the future. She's going to tell me that I'm erratic or, or I'm all over the place with drop-off times. And I was catastrophizing. And the domino effect in my mind ended up with my kids being wild criminals living under a bridge. You think I'm joking, but you, you, you didn't meet me before therapy. <laughs> Armed with my new knowledge and tools, if this happened again and I had those same thoughts, I might be able to tell myself that maybe she just needs to talk to me about something benign, something administrative. Maybe she thinks I'm a great mom, if she even gives more than a passing thought about me as a mom at all, which she may not because she has her own life, her own worries. And I can't be the only parent who doesn't do drop-off and pick-up like clockwork. The daycare is open from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm sure it's fine if sometimes I come at 8.30 and sometimes I come at 9.30. They haven't said otherwise. I could just ask. And it's probably not likely that both of my kids will become bridge dwellers and axe wielders and serial killers. I mean, it's just not very likely that all of those things would happen at the same time. 
You know, I used to think I really could read minds. I thought that was my superpower. I didn't realize it was a cognitive distortion from anxiety. I thought I could read minds. It never occurred to me that my interpretations might be wrong. And that kind of sounds arrogant until you consider that all, all the mind reading I was doing was negative about myself. I, I assumed people just hated me or thought I was stupid or a goody two-shoes or any number of negative things. I also used to think that social anxiety made me or meant that I was unlovable and bad. But when I saw the others in my group just talking about their social anxiety or, or showing behaviors that, that they were embarrassed about because they came from social anxiety, it didn't seem bad or unlovable or ugly to me. I just felt empathy for them. They just seemed like people. So I, I, need, I needed to start seeing myself that way. And over time, I did learn to extend that empathy toward myself and laugh a little at myself too, but not in a mean way, which is a big difference. For the longest time, I had this weird feeling of not really living my life. I called it living a meta life. I judged myself and imagined others were judging me rather than actually being able to engage in the moment. That sensation has become less intense over time, but I just wanted to share it in case it's relatable to you. I do think that this improvement, this like a decrease in feeling like I was living a meta life, I think it, a lot of it is thanks to learning not to trust every knee-jerk thought and reaction that I have. It's learning to tell the difference between a healthy truth and a toxic anxiety story or trap. When I was looking back over my therapy notes, in preparation for this episode, I found something that I wrote in the margins. Black and white thinking is setting yourself up for failure. If you learn to tolerate uncertainty and imperfection, you'll unlock a whole world of color. Even in those early days, I was already learning to retrain my brain. And I want to share that because I want to really emphasize that recovery is possible. It's just about getting the right tools, getting practice, and learning to separate fact from fiction in your brain. When my grandmother passed away in August of 2018, I wrote a blog post on my old blog about her. And in that post, I mentioned that I think she experienced anxiety. We didn't, we didn't talk about it, but the way she wrote about her interactions with other people, because she was a writer, makes me think that she may have had social anxieties to some extent. I'll never know firsthand what it was like to experience anxiety or depression in generations past, before there was all this awareness and advocacy about mental health. I can imagine that it was a lonely and confusing road. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't know social anxiety existed and, you know, that wasn't even that long ago. It wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I did even learn there was a condition called social anxiety disorder. And for depression, I was only vaguely aware of it, but I kind of assumed it was something that happened to other people and that I, if I just, you know, powered through, nothing can take me down, basically. But I was depressed at that time. I just didn't know it. I was anxious. I had low self-esteem. I can only imagine how lonely it must have been for our parents and grandparents to struggle but have no support. That's why I feel so lucky today. I feel lucky to be a young-ish, adult-ish in 2020. I get to be part 
of a movement away from bottling up our feelings and keeping a stiff upper lip. I get to be part of breaking down mental health stigma. I get to be going through my own recovery amidst mental health advocacy, eating disorder awareness, and basically this collective cry to stop beating ourselves up about everything. It's only a start. Voices are joining the chorus, but for a lot of people, mental health is still an obscure topic and personal challenges are secret and shameful. And even as I recognize how lucky I am, it kind of hurts me to wonder, what about my grandmother? What about other family members of mine who also suffered from mental health challenges that went undiagnosed, unvalidated, untreated? I'm generally a mental health optimist, but when I think about how many people have lost so much from untreated disorders, self-medicated disorders, it's kind of hard. At the end of that blog post about my grandmother, I wrote, I will help tear down the walls of stigma and ignorance so that my children, your great-grandchildren, have access to more resources and support than I do now even, and than you ever did. I thought today, as we're about to mark World Mental Health Day 2020, would be a good time to revive that post and share those thoughts with you. I wrote them before I felt the need to have an explicit purpose for my writing or my online presence or my journey. If you're a mental health content creator, maybe this is a nice time to reflect on why you're speaking out and who you're speaking to and for. For me, I'm speaking up for my grandmother I'm speaking out for my daughter and my son. I'm sharing for my own self-therapy. I'm showing up for you as best I can. And even though I may never know who you are and whether or not you heard this, all I can hope is that some parts of my words impact some of the many people who need to feel less alone. Is it too big to hope that today's voices can empower the voices of tomorrow? I think we all need to show up and let our voices and stories join the chorus of mental health advocates out there today who are saying, it's okay to not be okay. You are not bad. You deserve to heal. Recovery is possible and you're not alone. As we wrap up, I just want to say again that if you experience anxiety, remember that anxiety is a shared human experience. Some of us just experience a lot more of it and it interferes with our lives. And there are tools to help us break free and heal. We're all just doing our own version of muddling through. You didn't choose to experience excessive anxiety. It's not something you deserve because of some mistake you made or some personal failing. Anxiety and depression are not who you are. They're not your identity. You are not anxiety. You are not depression. You're so much more than the limiting beliefs and toxic stories anxiety and depression are telling you. Mental health disorders are worthy of immense self-compassion, and I hope you'll take some time to give that to yourself. By the way, I promised I'd share the outcome of that meeting with the daycare supervisor. So here it is. She just needed to talk because she needed to check something about a post-dated check I had given her. I think I had dated it for the Monday of that week instead of the Friday. (laughs) Very benign. No drama. No judgment. Did not think my kids were going to become serial killers. Anxious energy clearly well spent. Yeah. (laughs) All of this to say that you are not alone. It can get better. There is hope. 
The toxic stories your brain has learned to tell you are not true. Your brain is flexible and trainable, and you can learn to push back against those thought traps, reprogram your thinking, and feel better. And try not to let all or nothing thinking creep in here either. It's not like the goal is to manufacture this life that's always sunshine and rainbows and way too happy. I don't know if you've seen the Lego movie, but I'm thinking of Unikitty in Cloud Cuckoo Land, which Wikipedia describes as a state of absurdly over over-optimistic fantasy or an unrealistically idealistic state where everything is perfect. Yeah, that's not the goal. <laughs> the goal is just to teach your brain to think in healthier ways with like a reasonable amount of glitter and glam. So I'm going to end here. I want to say happy World Mental Health Day. Mark the day however you would like, but if nothing else, let it be a reminder that you're not alone and that we're all in this together. All right, cue the glitter cannon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Anxious Creators Unite podcast. I would love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram at Hall and let me know where you are in your mental health or creative journey. Until next time, remember that it's okay to show up scared and show up imperfect as long as you're showing up. You've got this and I'll see you next time. Bye.